0: Everyone. I'm just really excited about what God has been doing at our church, and we're going to kick off a brand new series today, going through the book of James, verse by verse, and I'm excited to do that, but before we get into the book of James today, I just wanted to share with you a couple of really awesome updates of some amazing things that God has been doing that you may or may not know about. One of those things is that we have a class here that we just launched just a few weeks back called next steps and that is a class that happens every single sunday after the second service it's a 30 minute uh type of class where uh every single sunday something is being taught in there about bcc or about how to get plugged in and connected it is our membership class it is our membership process but it's also a great way for someone that's just curious to learn a little bit more about our church so those four classes are who we are, what we believe, who you are, and how you fit, and we just launched this brand new thing a few weeks ago, and we just had our first crew of people complete their first set of four classes, and we had six people join the church and become new members here at BCC. Yeah. Oh, I just think that's really awesome. You can jump in any week um, to check this class out. And there's free goodies that you get and there's childcare provided and some light snacks so if you want to be a part of that it happens at 11:45 um, after the second service every single week so make sure you check that out if you are interested also how many of you were able to check out our prayer that we had on thursday last week we talked about prayer and we talked about the importance of declaring our dependence upon god And one of the things that we wanted to do was launch these prayer initiatives where we began to highlight our prayer warriors who are actually praying now during the service. And we really appreciate just the fervency of their prayers as we're having worship each and every week. But then also um, the upcoming prayer team that's going to be launching August 8th. We talked about that a little last week. And then we talked about this every Thursday morning prayer that we were going to begin on July 8th. And so we had our very first one we're here in the sanctuary we had at 8 30 and it'll happen every thursday morning we're going to come together and we're going to pray and we had nine people show up for that and then we had over 40 people show up online for the prayer stream as well so thank you for answering the call to prayer you can connect with that on facebook or you can come into the sanctuary if, if your schedule permits every thursday morning at 8:30 and pray with us so before we get into The book of James why don't we do that very thing why don't we go to the Lord in prayer Lord thank you so much for this opportunity for us to open up your word let us never take that for granted or take that lightly Lord we want to be wise with the way that we handle the scriptures we want to be prudent and fervent with the way that we study to show ourselves approved And so, Father, help us to continue to grow. I pray you would just touch hearts and lives in this place and online today. As many are watching, as many are here to hear your word, I pray it would become alive to every one of us and stir something in us to where we're not only just hearing it, but that it translate into action to where we're doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bible, let's go over to the book of James And before we start reading the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background. I want to give you just a little bit of history and context of who exactly James is. James, the author of this book, was actually the biological son of Mary and Joseph, Mary the mother of Jesus. So James is Jesus' half-brother. And thus being the half-brother of Jesus, he also was the pastor of the church in jerusalem and james was known in the church of his day as camel knees and that's what they called him because his knees were so worn out from being in a posture of prayer that the sagging of his knees looked like that of a camel and so you can find uh that people would call him that because he was such an intense prayer warrior he wrote this letter to the churches outside of palestine that were scattered because they had been persecuted by the Romans and so this letter that he wrote was copied and scattered amongst all of the churches in an effort to combat the, the hypocritical idea of this idea of intellect and knowledge makes a person spiritual and makes them um, uh, closer to God but instead he teaches them true godly living and how that should be the fruit of a life that is driven by faith in Jesus Christ The book of James is written in a Jewish writing style that is called pearls of wisdom on a string. And you'll notice that the book of Proverbs is written this way. You'll notice that often even Jesus would teach in this way. And the Apostle Paul would also write in this way at different points. And so the idea behind this writing style of pearls of wisdom on a string... Would be like that each one of these individual pearls although it may be its own like nugget of wisdom it's connected to the next and connected to the next and they all circle back around so it may seem kind of like these different proverbial axioms or it may seem like fortune cookie type wisdom or advice but it all has a purpose and it all ties together because they're all on that same string and that same thread so this was a very common writing style and he uses that writing style to write the book of James. So with that in mind, let's dive into the book of James and let's read these first eight verses. Verse one of chapter one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness he is a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all of his ways. So here, James says something really interesting that you and I don't like to hear. He says that we need to count it all joy when we fall into different trials and different temptations, and he opens up His letter by talking to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. And he's referencing a little bit of Jewish history here. And he's talking about when the Jews were scattered and dispersed and all these things. And he's not just talking to Jews. He's talking to all those who are followers of Jesus. He's saying you're all a part of the family of God. And that's really who he's writing to here. That's his audience. And he's bringing in both Jew and Gentiles who have placed their faith in Christ. Because that's how we become sons and daughters of God Is truly through faith in Christ and that's why he moves on to talk about that we need to be people who are putting our faith in Christ but we need to count it all joy when we fall into various temptations I don't know about you but when hard stuff happens in my life I don't go yes you know I don't like get really excited when something difficult happens but here James says that we need to count it all joy because of what it produces because there's going to come something out of this that if I am a person who is turning to God and I'm putting my hope and my trust in him and when those things happen that I direct my focus and my attention to him that something good is going to come out of it. Now scripture says very clearly in John 10 and 10 that the thief does, the thief is the one who comes to steal to kill and destroy but Jesus says I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So God is not the one who's bringing the calamity. God is not the one who's causing all of those things. But at the same time, God can use what the enemy meant for destruction and turn it around for our good, amen? God can use even the trials and the temptations and the various things that we may face, all the challenges that we may come across. He can use those things if during those times we focus and we reset our attention towards him because every one of us have a reaction when trials come. Every one of us are going to have like a trigger moment that makes us want to turn somewhere or to something or to someone. And where you turn during daily challenges reveals your source. I think a lot of us are kind of conditioned, if you have been in church very long, you've been conditioned to respond with the Christian answer because you know what you're supposed to say. But is what we're supposed to say actually true or is it just us being really good at parroting what we know we should say? When you run to trials, church, who do you turn to? Jesus. When things get tough, who do you turn to? Jesus. Well, sometimes I do, but sometimes I turn to the fridge. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I turn to binge-watching Netflix. Sometimes I turn to gossip. Sometimes I turn to more destructive things like alcohol or pornography. It's not always me turning to Jesus. I know I'm supposed to say that, though, right? I know I'm supposed to say when trials come, I turn to Jesus. And sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't because I feel like these other things somehow bring me comfort, somehow bring me temporary pleasure... Or joy, or maybe just a distraction from the pressures of life. And I don't always turn to Jesus, even though if I'm a Christian, I know that I'm supposed to. And James is trying to remind the church that when those trials come, when those difficulties come, when the daily challenges of life come, we need to turn to Jesus because He truly is enough we know that we should pray we know we should ask for godly wisdom we know we should deepen our dependence upon him but we're often just like what james described though aren't we we're double-minded we can sometimes go to jesus and sometimes go to other things and here's why because at our core we're wrestling with this idea of god really being good and we're wrestling with this idea of having a deepened confidence in god and that's what James is trying to drive home. He's trying to kind of expose that, not to shame you, not to wag his finger and make you feel bad, but to help us to have some evaluation, to be able to evaluate and be honest with ourselves, for us to actually take an honest look in the mirror and for us to actually see the truth instead of just knowing all the right things to say. Because in society, we can be so conditioned to making sure everyone that we need to fool is fooled into thinking that everything's okay we have these automatic responses that we say when people come and talk to us when they say hey how you doing today i'm doing great how are you i'm great too and neither one of them are great (laughs) like you have no idea what just happened right it could have been you this morning you know you walk in and and you see one of our greeters at the door hey how are you doing today oh i'm praise god bless god hallelujah glad to be in the house of the lord you know it's just and on the inside you're you're struggling man and for some reason we don't feel okay with that level of honesty because at our core we feel like as long as we say the right things then maybe i don't have to deal with it but i want us to be honest and i want us to take an honest look in the mirror and that's what james is trying to do He's trying to help us to take an honest look in the mirror so we won't be double-minded, so we can grow out of this immaturity of double-mindedness, and we can actually take an honest look and say, yeah, I'm going through trials. Lord, help me to count this all joy, because right now, it's hard. I know it's going to produce something good in me, because I know and I'm confident in your goodness. Now, that doesn't mean I'm always going to feel good about it. It doesn't mean I'm always going to be like on cloud nine, but it still helps me to anchor myself and remind myself even when I'm not feeling it. Hey, especially when you're not feeling it, right? I need to remind myself that God is good and that something good is going to come out of this and I'm going to put my hope and my trust in God instead of running to those other things for comfort, for peace, for joy, whatever I may be seeking from those things. Instead, I need to anchor myself in trusting that God truly is good. A lot of us, we wanna turn to friends, we wanna turn to TV, to the internet, to food, to finances, to work, to debt, to sleep, anything that makes us feel better temporarily, but the Christ follower must have confidence in God in order to truly serve him and to submit to him because if I have confidence in him, that I'm gonna be able to submit and do what he wants me to do. And that may mean he's asking me to do something tough. It may mean in a tough season, God asks me to do something tough. And I'm like, God, I can't do anything difficult right now. I just want the pressure to go away. I want things to get better. We wanna put a Band-Aid on it. And God's like, no, I'm wanting to heal something deeper. We're wanting to just put some Neosporin and a Band-Aid on it. And God's like, no, you need open heart surgery. Like, there's something more complex that I'm trying to do in you, and I need you to trust me through the challenge you're going through, not just alleviate the circumstance. So that's how it's counting it all joy. It's not joy in the sense of, like, I'm happy about it, like, whoo, hoo whoo, wow, man, the bill collectors are knocking on the door, just got a really bad diagnosis from the doctor. Oh, man, I count it all joy. I'm a great Christian. No, you're nuts. <laughs> That's not what James is talking about. James is not saying go around and be thankful for those things. He's saying count it all joy, not because of the calamity but because of what it's gonna produce. So Lord, I'm gonna be joyful because I know something good is coming that you're doing in me. I know my faith is gonna be strengthened. I know that even through this hardship, this difficulty, I know something good's coming out of it because I know who you are and I have confidence in your goodness. Amen, church? Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Let's pick up where we left off. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. ...for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life... ...which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God... ...for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin... ...and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So do not be deceived, my beloved brothers... Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here we see that he's telling us that we are a first fruits of his creation, a type of First fruits. In other words, he's talking about those who have been born again by putting their faith, putting their hope in Christ. They're able to remain steadfast under trials because they're anchored to something different. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel anchors my trust in Christ alone. And it trusts in this, the sufficiency of Christ. Do you know that Christ is sufficient and he is all-sufficient do you know that he is everything that you will ever need that if you had everything in this world taken away from you that you would call good that you would say you need in order to be successful or to be valued or to be noticed or to be loved or to be appreciated or to be whole if everything that you had said you needed to become that was taken away from you and if you still had Jesus you have everything you need oh man we say that stuff we sing that stuff blessed assurance Jesus is mine right but do we really understand the weight of the gospel and what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me That I have been chosen, that I have been welcomed, that I have been brought into the family of God, loved, forgiven, redeemed, bought back by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, dying on the cross in my place when it should have been me, but instead he took the punishment I deserved so I could go free. That's what Jesus did on the cross and he is enough and it is sufficient what he did when he said it is finished. He was talking about the separation between man and God that had existed because of sin. This gulf had now been erased and now he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life and no man comes to the Father except through him. And because of that glorious, rich truth of the gospel, it anchors my soul, it anchors my mind, it anchors my heart. So when things rise up and want to come against me, or when this world wants to try to steal and take away from me, or when the enemy wants to come in like a flood and try to drown me or intimidate me or overtake me, I can be confident that I still have Christ and he is sufficient and he is all I need. Because I'm living for something more than what this world has to offer. I'm living with my eyes set on a future eternity forever with him. And I'm living my life by prioritizing eternal things. I'm living my life by prioritizing the things that are going to matter most in making an impact in the kingdom of heaven. And if it costs me here on earth, it costs me. And Jesus is worth it because I believe that. And it anchors me during trials. Amen? It anchors me, church. The gospel anchors me in Christ alone. I I love, uh, John Piper says it this way, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing. Some people, they hear that and it makes them uncomfortable. Because some people think that Jesus is supposed to give me everything to make my life awesome here on earth. And I'll follow Jesus as long as, you know, like I get that, you know, that raise or, you know, I, my, my, my favorite football team wins, right? (laughs) Or my favorite basketball team tries to pull through, Uh, you know, I'll serve Jesus if he gives me everything I want. And we treat Jesus like the genie in the lamp. And we try to do enough good to earn more wishes. And we think that's how we get the wishes granted is because we do all the good things and all the right things. We give money to the poor, we give money to the church, we volunteer, we do nice things for other people. We don't cut people off in traffic. You know, we, 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 we don't respond angrily when things happen beyond our control and we're nice to people and we use nice words and we listen to the Christian radio station, you know, those types of things. And when we think that we do those things. We think we're like banking up all this stuff and then we go to God and we're like, all right, here's all my chips I'm ready to cash in. Now do the thing I want you to do. And that's an incorrect view of God. We're not using our relationship with him as some sort of proverbial Santa Claus or genie where we're trying to get on the good list. No, this is about the fact that there was nothing I could do to get his favor and his love. But because God so loved the world, before I ever had a choice to love him, he sent his only son. Amen. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. He gave it freely. That's why it's grace. It's not something I deserved. It's not based on merit. It's based on grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's his rich, rich favor, and he is more than enough, and it's not that I become saved and I, I become a follower of Jesus, and now all of a sudden I want to get all these wonderful things from God, and that makes it worth serving him. No, no, no. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In other words, everything that I need is wrapped up in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross everything that I need now does he do things in my life and intervene in situations here on this earth yeah absolutely he does but if he never intervened and all he did was just save my soul from in eternity in hell he has done more than I deserved and more than enough amen and I can approach him confidently knowing that he's good not because when I ask I get everything that I want because I found out the secret and the formula no 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 I can go to him confidently because I know that he's good and whether things may manifest here on this earth or whether it's something that I will experience when I see him face-to-face in eternity, I can still trust through the trials, through the changes, through the shifts, that he is good because my soul is anchored in Christ. being enough. The gospel anchors me to be steadfast during trials. That's the difference between the Christian and the person who doesn't know Christ. The person who doesn't know Christ, when calamity strikes, when difficulties come, when things happen in the world, they freak out and they react and they try to fix it in their own strength or, or they worry about it because they, they wanna do everything they can to try to just fix it and repair it. And they do it in their own ways to, because they realize it's broken and they realize that it needs to be fixed. And they get angry about it and they have these reactions, you know, like during an election season. <laughs> Or during, you know, like a pandemic, maybe. The world has a way to try to fix things. Oh, we got to fix it. Ah, it's broken. Ah, oh, it's wrong. This shouldn't be happening. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then people are getting angry, and we should fix it this way. And other people are saying, no, you're dumb. We should fix it this way. No, you shouldn't think that way. I'm an American, you know. And then this person's like, no, we should do it this way. And we just start fighting each other. What's going on? We're trying to fix something that's broken in our own strength. That's how the world responds when things happen beyond our control, when trials come. The Christian is not supposed to respond like the world. All right. The Christian is supposed to respond, how did James say? Steadfast. Steadfast under trials. Why are we steadfast under trials? Because we're anchored in the gospel. As James says, we've been brought forth by the word of truth. It's as if we're like this type of first fruit that uh, Romans talks about. When Paul writes about us, uh, Jesus being the firstborn among many brothers, we're a kind of first fruits of his creation. It's like we've, we're, we're that first group to be born again, to be made alive because of Christ. It's like we once were dead, and then because of Christ, we've been born again. We've been made alive. But we've been made new, and now we have God's Spirit living on the inside of us because He's forgiven us, and He's made us right in His eyes because of what Jesus has done. And it's through my faith in Him that I can have peace, that I can have my soul anchored, in the gospel and that i can confidently say in trials that jesus is enough now i may try to do things to remedy situations i shouldn't be disengaged i'll try to engage up but i'm not going to get upset about it i'm not going to lose my cool over it i'm not going to cause division in the church or amongst my brothers and sisters in christ or set a bad example for being a representative of christ to the rest of the world because that's what second corinthians 5 and verse 20 says where the apostle paul talks about that we are ambassadors for christ we're representing him amen church and so when i know those things i have peace it's not me being passive no i can still be involved i can still be engaged but the way i respond the way i react is very different because the gospel anchors me to be steadfast during trials Church, we cannot save ourselves by our good behavior, and the word of truth that we have and that we need every single day is Jesus. We never stop needing Jesus. No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I cannot bring the security that I need. Only Christ alone can, amen? Let's read the rest of this. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god let's let's do that again just for funsies (laughs) know this my beloved brothers let every person how many is every all every okay just want to make sure you're paying attention all right because that means you that means me that doesn't mean the person that you wish was here to hear this right okay All right, (laughs) that was kind of snarky, I love you. All right, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Hmm. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Modern day translation, quick to hear, slow to text. Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, you may be getting really upset about something that you can't control, and you think that your anger is the way to respond. You need to remember what James wrote. The anger of man, it does not produce the righteousness of God. Mm. Therefore, oh, I can't get past that. We gotta stop that means when you try to justify statements like this like i'd say it to their face right if they were here right now i'd say it to their face or i don't need to be ashamed to say this or say that somebody needs to say it the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore verse 21 we can move on now put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like but The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Ouch. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says not to just be hearers. So he says, all right, be slow to hear. I mean, quick to hear, but be slow to speak. But even though you're quick to hear, don't just get complacent in your hearing because we can do that as church people as well, right? We can know a lot of stuff. I've memorized all the verses, I know all the answers, it's Jesus and the Bible, those are the answers, and I know how to respond, and I know how to quote John three sixteen, and I know, you know, how to share the gospel, and we can get so confident in our knowledge that we never let that knowledge impact and affect our hearts, it just becomes a lot of things that we know, and here, James wants to take that next pearl of wisdom, that connects to that previous one and he wants to kind of springboard off of that idea of yes be quick to hear but also don't just hear do let your hearing translate into doing so that what you're hearing actually is something you're practicing and I don't always feel like practicing what I hear amen Sometimes I hear things and I'm like, yeah, that sounds tough, or yeah, I know I need to do that, but just knowing it is not good enough. It's not just an increase of knowledge. That's not what we're after, and James is specifically addressing the Gnosticism of the time that was being run rampant all throughout the area of Palestine and all of the area of Jerusalem where people were teaching that the more you know and you can uncover these secret mysteries and these deeper things and all of these these things that would just blow your mind that these are the things that were just getting that make you closer to god and that's gnosticism they would speak of secret angelic levels of wisdom And so that Gnosticism was running rampant at the time, the apostle Paul was attacking it and trying to help Christians to anchor in Christ alone. And here James is trying to help the church to anchor in Christ alone, being their hope. And he's trying to help them to remember, hey, it's not about all of the knowledge. It's not just about more things that you memorize. Someone can speak Greek and they know the Greek word for this or that, that's awesome, that's great if it helps you understand something to put into practice but if it's just something for you to rattle off in a small group or a Sunday school to make someone go, wow, they must be spiritual. He said it's worthless if that's your goal. He said it's it's actually worthless if you're trying to puff yourself up, if you're trying to make yourself look impressive to other people. He said, no, it's actually being a hearer and a doer because if you're just a hearer and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. You are self-deceived. He uses the language earlier in the first chapter a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways because he somehow caught in between this idea of hearing not doing not practicing we would call that someone who is a hypocrite who would say something and say they're all about something but the fruit of their life proves to be something very different and that turns the world off and people get hurt by that and people see that, well, I just think that the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, or I think that you know, people who say that they're this really aren't because I've seen how they behave, how they act. Let our action show the world the goodness of what Christ has done in us. Not that we're perfect, not that we've got it all figured out, but that we're growing in Christlikeness and godliness. Amen. And we're doing it on purpose because we're pursuing him and we're anchoring ourselves in him. And then when the trials come, Let us be steadfast and let us remind each other to be steadfast. When one of us starts, you know, getting off track, we should love each other enough to pull each other and remind each other that we need Jesus. That's why we're doing things like praying on Thursday morning at 830. See that? See how I did that? Because we're wanting to increase our dependence on God. And that's a way for us to remind each other that we need God and we need each other. That's why we're praying for one another. That's why it's not just you praying alone. It's us praying for each other. Because we need that. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. It's like iron sharpening iron. We're supposed to sharpen each other. We're supposed to help each other remember the gospel. Remember where our hope comes from. Because there's a lot of distractions out there. And there's a lot of things that would want to pull our attention and our affection away from Christ. And then here we get right back on the crazy cycle of trying to soothe all of our anxieties and all of our fears. And trying to fix everything with the same old vices that we used before and we get caught and we get chained by self-selecting to be in chains. It's almost like self-selected slavery because Christ has already set us free. You don't have to be chained to that sin. You don't have to be chained to that addiction. You don't have to be chained to your past. We choose that oftentimes because it's more comfortable because I feel like I can control it. And If I just had this happen, then everything would be okay. If I just had this relationship, if I just had this amount of money, if I just had this kind of car, if I just was looked at this way in the company, if i just had this person's approval or if i just had this person's uh uh, uh, love or whatever it may be and we seek all of those things thinking that somehow they're going to bring about something that they will never bring about because they're just idols and idols they're 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 dead there's no life in them but they do something very powerful even though they're dead they lie and you know why idols lie to get you to worship them and how do they get you to worship them? By lying, by promising on something they can't deliver. And then when you feel the remorse of the credit card bill that comes in the mail or the hangover the next morning or coming down off of the trip that you had, whatever the case may be, or you feel, you know, the emptiness of the show hole after you've completed the season of the TV show on Netflix that you've ended, And you're like, what am I going to do with my life now? <laughs> When you have those experiences, what does the idol do when you're at that low after you bought into the lie that you worshiped it? It says, You know what you need? Another drink, a new show to watch, more sleep, more food. To go shopping will make you feel better, just to get away. And it keeps lying to you, even at your lowest moments, because that's what they do, and it creates this cycle. And Jesus has set you free. From this cycle and this pattern because Jesus is enough. But we have to have confidence and trust that He is enough. And that means that we have to declare that He is enough when we don't feel it. That's faith when I don't feel it. If I went off of my feelings, I'd be in trouble, right? When I don't feel it, when I'm struggling, I need to say, Lord, oh, I know it's true that you're enough, but I don't feel it right now. Lord, help me realize that you are enough. And begin to remind yourself of the gospel. Lord, I know that the word says that you bought me with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. I know that I'm accepted and loved by God. I know that I'm welcomed into the family of God. I know that I'm a child of the king. Help me to remember those things because right now I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And maybe there's others who can surround you and remind you of who you are in Christ and whose you are because that's what we need to do look into the mirror and remember who we are and whose we are the mirror is the gospel the gospel shows me who i am and it shows me whose i am and the gospel begins to influence my speech it begins to influence my teachability and it transforms my hearing into doing how i react reveals my root so how are you reacting because how you react reveals the root it reveals the source of where I really trust. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to recognize he is enough. And he and when I recognize he is enough, it feeds the root of my soul. It helps me to be content in every circumstance and it gives me the strength that I need. So church, here's what I want us to do. Turn to him in every circumstance. And let the gospel transform. Let the gospel strengthen. Let the gospel lead. Let the gospel influence every step you take in your everyday life. Not just in those overwhelming, big, huge things, but in every area, even in the little things. Because you know God cares about the little things. Do you believe that? Do you have confidence in him? How you react matters because he is enough. I want us to stand together. So why don't you go ahead and do that today? And if you're at home watching, I want you to focus in on this time. Put away the distractions. And I want us to declare together and remind ourselves that he is enough. Amen? Amen. Let's sing it together.